This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You are an old man who thinks in terms of nations and peoples. There are no nations. There are no peoples. There is only one holistic system of systems. One vast and immane, interwoven, interacting, multivariate, multinational dominion of dollars. And you have meddled with the primal forces of nature. And you will atone. Everybody knows that the days are loaded. Everybody rolls with fingers crossed everybody knows the war is over everybody knows the good guys lost everybody knows the fight was fixed the poor stay poor the rich get rich that's how it goes everybody knows Live from Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. Everybody knows that the Do not adjust your dial. You have arrived at the right place. Seven months later, mind you, sort of a time warp, isn't it? Since I was last heard on the airwaves here in Toronto the Good. Now, where was I before I was so rudely interrupted? Ah, yes, we will, of course, talk about President Barack Obama because the rumors persist that uh, that's the reason I was turfed from another radio station. I was paying a little too much attention to that whole question about Barack Obama's legitimacy or illegitimacy in terms of his, uh, in terms of his uh, eligibility to be president. Is there an imposter in the White House? I'll discuss that in a few moments. Let me give you a heads up what's coming up on the maiden jo- uh, voyage of the conspiracy show and let me first of all uh, thank some people uh not the academy awards but i i am very very appreciative and grateful to everyone here at uh, am 740 they've been very welcoming but in particular i want to thank uh, uh, gene stevens who really went to bat for for me and for this program and fought to get this show on the air also uh, to george uh, grant general manager president and moses Neimer who have all, as I say, been very supportive. And I look forward to a very long tenure uh, here. The moment I stepped in the building at 550 Queen Street East, it felt like home. And uh, I'm so happy uh, to be back on the air and delivering the news and the stories that a lot of uh, others in the mainstream media simply choose to ignore. Let me introduce someone else in the other studio, Dan the Grassy Knoll Ellison is uh, flying this ship and holding my hand and keeping me in line. And I look forward to a, a long working relationship with, uh, with Dan. All right, coming up in the program, 
in the second hour. The swine flu, something wicked this way comes. But is this the big one? Is this the pandemic that everyone has been warning us was going to wash ashore, that it was inevitable? 20, every 20 years we have another uh, pandemic? Or is this some type of New World Order psychological warfare being perpetrated against us sheeple? We'll find out when Dr. Len Horowitz and Dr. Patricia Doyle, the lab gal, uh, joins me in the second hour. August 16th, 1977. I don't have to tell you what that means, of course. 32 years later, the rumor persists that Elvis has not, in fact, left the building. Now, I realize that this whole conversation for many of you has sort of entered into the realm of schlockdom. Oh, not another Elvis is alive story. Well, wait till you hear what my guest at the bottom of the hour has to say. We'll reach Eliza Alice Presley in uh, Graceland or at Graceland where she's attending the candle uh, vigil, candlelight vigil. She says she has DNA evidence that she is, in fact, the half-sister of Elvis. She is the daughter of Elvis's father, Vernon Presley, who passed away in 1979. But further, she says she has DNA evidence that Elvis is, in fact, still alive. Evidence, DNA evidence, you heard me correctly. This has people down in Memphis scratching their heads. Because in late 2008, a Tennessee judge actually reopened the Vernon Presley estate. So impressed was he by this DNA evidence. All right, that's all up and coming on the program. Now, as I mentioned, President Barack Obama. No doubt you've heard the rumor mill. He's not eligible to be president because he's not a natural U.S.-born citizen. His paternal grandmother, has sworn up and down several times she attended his birth in a hospital in Kenya in 1961. Hold on, says the state authorities in Hawaii. We've seen the long-form birth certificate, and the president and present occupant of the White House was indeed born in Hawaii. Except we can't find it. So we'll post this electronic version online. Except some forensic investigators have taken a look at that electronic version and said that's clearly a forgery. It just won't die. There are rumors that I was let go from my previous uh, job at another radio station because I wouldn't let this story die, and I continued to hammer away at this issue, and I probably conducted no fewer than seven or eight interviews with my next guest, who will join me here shortly. Philip Berg has really been spearheading this whole campaign to force the president to prove he is eligible to be president, that he is, in fact, a natural-born U.S. citizen. He is the uh, former deputy attorney general of Pennsylvania. He is an attorney. He is no tinfoil hat-wearing kook, ladies and gentlemen, and I will speak to him when we come back. When in doubt, blame the government. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. 
Joining me on the line is, as I mentioned, the former Deputy Attorney General of Pennsylvania, Attorney Phil Berg. Phil, good to talk to you again. My pleasure. How are you, sir? I'm well, thank you. I don't know if you heard the preamble. I, I'm not sure if you were aware. You may have gotten me fired. I did hear that. Uh, I hope not. Maybe we'll turn around. We can still sue them. Because, <laughs> you know, there's a thing called free speech, right? That's, that's all right. I, I wear it as a badge of honor, if, in fact, that's what, what happened. But who knows? Anyway, listen. Uh, again, the the the, uh, the rumors. Uh, it's not. They're not rumors. There is considerable evidence to support the fact, to support the allegation, rather, that that the current occupant of the White House is not a natural-born U.S. citizen. Now, uh, the uh, the latest, of course, is this uh, document that supposedly is a long-form birth certificate or a birth registration uh, from Kenya. But there are many that have dismissed that as a forgery. What are your thoughts on that document? The latest one that was posted by an attorney, actually in a lawsuit and on her website. Yes. Okay, that document is a forgery. It's it's it's, it's a fraud. It, it, please, no one look at that. Um, the problem is this: we have to take a look at things. I, uh, from the beginning, and uh, I've now been involved. It's my thirteenth month on this since August of two thousand and eight. Our website is ObamaCrimes.com. O-B-A-M-A-C-R-I-M-E-S dot C-O-M. <clears throat> Our website has stayed focused, directed on this topic. We have uh, three lawsuits pending. Over this past year, I have received several supposed original copies of birth certificates from Kenya. What I've done with them is I've done what's called being a responsible attorney, and I've had people review them. When we reviewed them, we found out that they were not legit. I Did I post them on my website? Not at all. For this one, which was posted about two weeks ago, it's irresponsible by the attorney. I don't even like naming her because I just don't like what she does. By posting it and then ask the court to give expedited discovery to, uh, so that they could uh, authenticate this document. All right, That's not how you practice law. No, uh, yet we, we had the earlier affidavits of, uh, of Barack Obama's paternal grandmother, I believe she swore out an affidavit, that she w- attended his birth in a Mombasa hospital in 1961, and then, of course, all of a sudden, after recanting this several times, uh, that uh, whole side of the family simply shut up. Or we're right. made to shut up, so we, we've, we've heard... Well, I think it's made to shut up. We have on our website, ObamaCrimes.com, we have actually the, uh, in Swahili, the wording, I mean, the word of uh, Sarah Obama uh, stating that she was in the hospital when Obama was born. We have the translations by two ministers who are actually with her, the questions were asked her in English, translated to Swahili, and she has it back. At the end of the tape, there are some young people yelling, no, no, he was born in Hawaii. But that was, a, you know, just trying to, they know that he was born in, in Kenya. Phil Berg here on the uh, Conspiracy Show, and he is the former Attorney General, a Deputy Attorney General of Pennsylvania that really has uh, been uh, following or, or spearheading this uh, campaign to have Barack Obama prove he is a natural-born U.S. citizen. Let me ask you this, because uh, apparently there was a, a comment from a constitutional lawyer who says that even if there's proof 
Obama is not legitimate. There is a provision in American law for a judge to withhold or modify his judgment if it would cause chaos, which it probably would apply in this case if it were to come out that Barack Obama was not a natural-born U.S. citizen and thus ineligible. Your comment on that? Well, first off, I'm shocked that a constitutional lawyer would say that. You know, the law is the law, okay? We must follow the law. You can't just... Now, when I prove legally that Obama has been putting forth the biggest hoax in the history of this country and basically lying and that he should be legally removed from office, I will call together all of the ministers in this country, all religious leaders, all political leaders for a massive news conference and saying, wait a minute, stop. What do you plan to do? You plan to riot? You plan to destroy property? You plan to injure and kill people? For what reason? One person, one person is responsible for all this. That's Barack Obama. Really, we believe his legal name is when he was adopted in Indonesia, because if any of your listeners adopted a child, when they adopt a child, they take your last name. Again, on our website, we have his school record from Indonesia. His name is Barry Sotoro. I believe that's his name. But I would say to everyone, Barry Sotoro or Barack Obama knows what's going on. He, he's not a stupid person. He went to Occidental College in California, Columbia University in New York, and Harvard Law School. He graduated and practiced law. He taught constitutional law for 10 years. He knows that this is a big fraud. So stop what you're doing. The only one who should be held responsible is Obama and Michelle Obama and Howard Dean, the former head of the Democratic National Committee, the head during the time he was nominated and elected, other uh, senior people at the Democratic National Committee, senior campaign officials, and now senior administration officials, who all know this is a bold-faced lie, all right. should all be subjected to the criminal justice system. Let me let me and, just say and tried, and those convicted should go to jail. Let me say for, for the record, and I've said this a number of times, just to clarify, and I'll say it sure, again. Please. I really hope that you're wrong, and I think you hope that you're wrong too. That that uh, that, that he is in fact legitimate, correct? Well, yeah, but here, here's the problem. For your listeners now, when I first filed my first lawsuit, August 21st, 2008, a year ago, I stated, and this was before the Democratic National Convention, I said, Obama, prove me wrong. Show me your long-form vault birth certificate that you were born in Hawaii, and I'll go away. He never showed that, which gave us time to investigate further. You're right. I don't want, I'm a lifelong Democrat. But I'm doing this because more important than Democrat politics or Republican politics is our government, the Constitution, the foundation of our government. Our forefathers, you know, really worked hard to put down together this massive, beautiful document, which has led our country become the leader in the world for the last 230 years plus years, and the Declaration of Independence and the Bill of Rights. Other countries have tried to copy and duplicate it. Uh, do whatever they can, they can't do it because there's too much fighting and disruption. Hold on, Phil. Listen, we'll take a time out when we come back. Yeah. I want you to sort this out for, 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 for me and for my listeners because we're hearing from the, the officials of the state of Hawaii who say, wait a minute, no, we've seen the long-form birth certificate. It's there. We can't present it to well, you. No, they didn't say that. So okay. when we get back, let me explain that. Please do. All right. Okay. Phil Berg spearheading the uh, uh, campaign to force President Barack Obama to prove he deserves to be in the White House. Stay with us. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. We'll talk swine flu coming up at uh, midnight Eastern. 
Whether or not it is the pandemic, the big one, or some sort of psychological warfare experiment, and a uh, young woman, not so well, she's my age, she's a young woman, uh, down in Memphis uh, tonight in uh, at Graceland attending the candlelight vigil who has, she says, DNA evidence that she is Elvis's half-sister and that he is still alive. And this is not a joke because a, a Tennessee a judge actually heard this uh, case in 2008, late 2008, was impressed sufficiently with the evidence that he reopened Vernon Presley's estate. All right, Phil Berg is with us, former Deputy Attorney General of Pennsylvania, the website obamacrimes.com. And, uh, Phil, again, sort it out. I'm hearing that the... the I'll be with you in one second. Hold on one second. All right. He's about to, to, to let us in on what's going on uh, with Hawaiian state officials who claim that uh, they have seen Barack Obama's birth certificate, and he is, in fact, a natural-born U.S. citizen, was born in Hawaii. But, of course, that contradicts everything else we're hearing from people like Phil Berg and uh, numerous others who have launched uh, uh, legal proceedings across the country. So, if you're new to this, the, the situation is this. President Barack Obama must be, according to the Constitution, a natural-born U.S. citizen in order to be eligible to run for that office. If he was born in Kenya, then he cannot be a natural-born U.S. citizen because it gets a little complicated, but essentially his mother was not old enough to bestow natural-born U.S. citizenship on her son. All right, Phil Berg, what are the the officials in Hawaii saying about this, this birth certificate? Last October, October 2008, they came out, this Dr. Fukino and someone else stated, we have seen his birth certificate, the long form, I think, I think they said it was even long form of all birth certificate, and it's valid. What they didn't say, they didn't say it was from Hawaii. They didn't say it was from Kenya either, but they didn't specifically didn't say it was from Hawaii. The governor came out and made a statement that these records are sealed, and uh, as all other records, and we can't discuss those records. Just recently now, Dr. Fukino, about two weeks ago, comes out with a statement, and I've scrutinized the statement. She states, I've looked at the Obama's vital records. She doesn't say birth certificate. I've looked at Obama's vital records, and he is natural born. Well, first off, according to the governor, they're not allowed to comment on anything. At all. So why is she suddenly commenting? Because she's trying to make a name for herself or she's getting pressure from Obama's people. But she didn't say birth certificate. And last year she said we've seen the birth certificate, but she didn't say where it was from. But her new statement says, I've seen his vital records and he's natural born. Um, it's, it's baloney. You know, I mean, we're back to the same thing again. If all you listeners out there... Um, Many times now, I'm not sure in Canada, but in the United States, they must produce the birth certificate one, two, three, four, five times in their lifetime. You need it for little leg. You might you need it for baptism. You need it for entrance to school. You need it definitely for a passport in the United States. But not to register in the New Hampshire primary, apparently. Well, maybe. I'm not sure. Um, and, and there's no requirement to show a birth certificate to run for president of the United States. There's no checks and balances whatsoever. And, and to go hand-in-hand hand with it, why I believe that he's a phony. And, and hear what I'm saying, people. I'm calling this the biggest hoax in the history of our country. I'm calling Obama a phony. I'm calling him a fraud. You know, I'm sitting here, you know, I mean, they're not arresting me. 
they're not saying, you know, condemning me for these remarks, but but think about it. Now, a legislature, uh, a congressman from Florida has introduced legislation saying as of the year 2012, anyone running for president must prove that they're constitutionally eligible to run for office. He has seven co-sponsors, total of eight, no Democrats. Now, why isn't everyone just jumping on that? I'll tell you why not, because they know he's not natural born. And 2012 would be the time that Obama would be running for re-election. Why didn't the Republicans use this against Obama if they knew about this in the, in the election? I have no idea. I have no idea. But see, we have to, in the, in the United States, um, in my opinion, we should, if we really want to have a better government, and, and we've had a fantastic government, but right now we should throw out every member of Congress because they're in bed with each other. I mean, think about it. Uh, Obama said that his administration could be the most o- open, transparent administration in the history of our country. Well, how can it be transparent when he won't even acknowledge to show that he's constitutionally eligible to be president? He also said during his campaign there will never be legislation that is like basically shoved down your throat. All legislation will have at least four days for people to review it and comment thereon. Well, the stimulus package passed like overnight. And and this new um, medical thing, which they're trying to pass, no one really knows what it's all about. It's like 1,100 or 1,400 pages, which people uh, who are voting for it have stated what? They've stated that um, they haven't read it. Phil, aren't you shoveling sand against the, time, the, the tide every time uh, somebody uh, takes up this the case and tries to... Uh, to get the courts to listen to them, the judge shuts it down and says, we, we won't hear the case. Every well, time. my first case, the judge shut it down and said I didn't have standing. Now, that's interesting if everyone wants to listen. He said that Phil Berg doesn't have standing, that no one in the United States has standing to question the, to challenge the Constitution. Now, think how absurd that is, if you think about it. Uh, first off, the Tenth Amendment goes, anything else not there goes to we the people. But the absurdity is then the judge went further that, that perhaps in the future Congress will decide who should have standing to challenge the Constitution. I mean, it's so ludicrous. Now, that, that's the case that I took, and I bypassed the Third Circuit Court of Appeals and went to the U.S. Supreme Court asking for various injunctions, which were turned down. But the case is still alive, even though the Supreme Court hasn't, has turned it down at this point. The case alive in the Third Circuit Court of Appeals on the issue of standing, and we now have uh, arguments scheduled for Monday, October 26th, in the Third Circuit in Philadelphia. Um, more important, I have a pressing case right now. Um, I have sued uh, under uh, I sued under the case was placed under seal. Now, for your listeners, people kept questioning why it's under seal, why it's under seal. All cases of this nature are, are under seal. It's called under the False Claims Act or QUITAM, Q-U-I-T-A-M. It's usually done in Medicaid or Medicare fraud. Let me give an example. <clears throat> Supposing I believe my next-door neighbor is defrauding the federal government on a Medicare claim. I would file a lawsuit against it. be Philip J. Berg and Philip J. Berg as relator, R-E-L-A-T-O-R, on behalf of the United States of America versus next-door neighbor. Immediately that case is sealed. It's sealed for this reason. The Department of Justice is served, the Attorney General is served, but the next-door neighbor is not served. The purpose of it is, for the next 60 days, the government has a chance to take a look at it and decide whether, number one, they're going to prosecute the case, number two, whether they're going to turn it over to the relator, Phil Berg, to prosecute it, or number three, whether they're going to dismiss the case. 
very few cases are ever dismissed. However, in the case of mine, they decided they took a position to dismiss it. Um, once they dismissed it, the case became unfilled. Now, the difference is, in this case, I filed suit against Barack Obama. Actually, I decided to file the suit against Barry Sotoro. I'm stating that Barack Obama, as an illegal alien, therefore not only can he not be president, but he also cannot be, could not serve as a United States senator from Illinois. Um, and therefore, his salary and benefits totaling over a million dollars should go back to the U.S. Treasury. Now, that's significant. Now, the judge walks out at the hearing and says, at the closed hearing, first off, the, it's a sealed case, so the doors to the courtroom are locked, the windows in the back are covered, we have a sealed case. The judge comes out and says, Mr. Berg, I want you to understand with whatever argument you're going to put forth, that I will have no input whatsoever on that because the D.C. Court of Appeals has stated I don't have input. And at the end of your presentation, the Attorney General's Office and Department of Justice will make a decision on what to do with this case. I said, well, you, I, I respectfully, uh, you know, listen to your honor, but I disagree because the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, and if you're, that's out in California, they've already said that judges should have input. And my, my statement to the judge is, <clears throat> why would the statute provide for a hearing if the judges have no input. Uh, he did not respond, but that's my position. But on our motion now, so now that the case is on field, I can talk about it. Um, also, I have asked a motion for reconsideration saying that the head of the Department of Justice and the head of the Attorney General's office is Eric Holder, the Attorney General. And I'm saying we found a statute there presented to the judge and we're waiting for a hearing that there's a major conflict of interest. Think about it. Eric Holder was on the campaign committee for Obama running for president. He was one of three individuals that selected Vice President Biden and reviewed other candidates. And now he's the attorney general, which is the highest law enforcement officer in the state who also advises the president. So if there ever was a conflict of interest, that's it. So I'm asking them to turn the case over to me as the relator or to have a special prosecutor <coughs> appointed either to review this matter or to handle the entire matter. So all right, Phil. We're uh, waiting for a hearing on that. All right. We'll keep uh, in, in touch and keep on top of this. Uh, Obamacrimes.com. Yes. And uh, I, I wish you luck, but uh, I got to say that uh, if they, whoever they might be, some powerful group, can put an imposter in the White House, surely uh, they can pay off some judges to make sure that the case never sees the light of day. Let me again reiterate, I can't em emphasize it enough. I, I hope I'm wrong. Uh, I know that you do. Uh, I, I would love to be caught up in the euphoria uh, and, and the optimism that uh, his election uh, brought, but um, uh, perhaps I'm too cynical. Anyway, Phil, good talking to you. Thanks for joining me on the, uh, the maiden voyage here of the, uh, the Richard, conspiracy one, one, show. One more point for your listeners, real quick. Why has Obama spent over $1 million fighting my three lawsuits and all the other lawsuits at this point if he has nothing to hide? You don't spend a $1 million if you're legit. That's an excellent question, and we'll just uh, let that... Back any time, and if there's ever callers, I'll be glad to answer any questions. And Phil Berg, it's ObamaCrimes.com, and good luck with your new show. I appreciate it, Phil. We'll be in touch. And uh, as I say, we'll leave that question out there for uh, people to uh, wrap their heads around that. I don't want to be a tiger, cause tigers play too rough I don't want to be a lion, cause lions ain't the kind you love enough But as a wound of you, you're a teddy bear
Eliza Alice Presley joins me on the line from Memphis in Graceland, as a matter of fact. Uh, Eliza, thank you so much uh, for being with me tonight. Hi, how are you doing? I'm well, thank you. I'm just curious, why would you be attending the candlelight vigil for someone that you contend is still very much alive? It's not, no, I'm not attending it for my brother because of the fact that he's not here and, you know, he didn't really pass away in 77. So, no, there's no mourning on my part. But by doing this, I'm able to turn around and pay my respects to my dad and my grandmother who actually are buried here in the medication garden to Graceland. So it's to pay my respects to Vernon and Minnie Mae. Um, it's not to pay my respects to my brother because he's not here. Let's dial back to October, November last year when a Tennessee judge actually found sufficient evidence to uh, reopen the estate, in this case of Vernon Presley, because your, your, uh, your contention is that you are Vernon's child. Can you please summarize the, the, the DNA evidence uh, that was that was used in this in this hearing in uh, in late late 2008. Okay. Um, well, actually, I ended up obtaining uh, DNA from the first cousin of Elvis's on the um, paternal side back in 1999, but it wasn't until I had a cancer scare in uh, 2000 that I went ahead and sent it to a lab and wanted to see, because I, I wasn't, the only thing I was trying to ascertain is I was trying to find out if he was actually my uh, biological father. And so I turned around and I sent that in, and it was kind of a jumping off point. It was either, you know what, you're way off in left field and there's nothing to this, or you're going to be related and there's something, you know, to my suspicions. So basically, um, when that came back, it showed that she and I were very much related. And so that was the jumping off point that, you know, I wasn't crazy. And that was in the fall of 2000. And then I traveled to, you know, here to Memphis in March of 2001. And I met with his first cousin on the uh, maternal side, on the Smith side. I met with his cousin and her mother. And I ended up getting her DNA. And then um, it was in... 2007, I was actually told by a gentleman that I contacted um, that had the Elvis collection, and I was wanting to try to find out if he had any items that could possibly have DNA on him for testing. And um, he ended up telling me to contact a reporter at Fox um, 8 in Cleveland and that she had um, an item that supposedly had his DNA on it, etc., but that she had also covered... Um, the whole Elvis is Alive story with uh, back in 2002, I believe. So um, I, I actually, you know, when he told me, you know, when he told me that she was trying to find out or, you know, ascertain the person going by Jesse, that he was really Elvis Presley, I, to be honest, that was in July 2007, and I blew it off because I just didn't want to go down that road. It had nothing to do with what I was doing because I was just trying to find out if he was my dad. So I didn't do anything about it. And then in February of 2008... Let me just uh, jump in here if I, if I could. Uh, and, and, uh, and let me see if I understand this. You were ad- adopted. You were trying to figure out who your father was. Friends had suggested to you that you had a striking resemblance to the Presley f- side of the family and that your children, in fact looked like 
Elvis Presley. So you thought, well, listen, I'm trying to find out who my father is. You find out that your your uh, your biological mother lived across from Graceland. You put two and two together, and you you thought, well, let's see if Elvis might be, in fact, your father. The DNA evidence, however, suggested something quite different, that Elvis was not your father, but Vernon Presley was your father, making Elvis your half-brother. This d- DNA evidence, that was, sub- was this actually submitted to, to court in late 2008? Um, in, 2000, in 2008, um, when I finally went ahead and got a hold of... Uh, then staff at a Fox 8 in Cleveland, Ohio, she told me about some DNA on um, a piece of blue jeans from, um, anyway, from an old, um, I don't know, from an old piece of blue jeans from the late 60s, and uh, supposedly it had uh, blood stains on it. So, anyway, I contacted her, and that's all I was contacting her about. Well, she told me it was very, it was cross-contaminated. They weren't even able to get a full DNA profile, and that there was actually several DNA profiles on it, male and female both, and that it was basically, it was worthless. So it wouldn't have done me any good. So we start talking, and she goes on to tell me about this person going up persona of Jesse that had submitted a cheek swab back in 2002. And... You know, I said, you know what? I've never gone. I've never belonged to like any Elvis conspiracy. I've never gone down the road. You know, did he really fake his death? So I was kind of ignoring it, to be honest. And she starts telling me everything that Fox did, trying to disprove that it was Elvis, and everything they did, they couldn't disprove it. And I found that was amazing. And then she explained to me that uh, in 2002, he had done this cheek swab and. What happened is they had contacted Elvis's uh, first cousins to try to get them to turn around and test against the sample from Jesse because only Elvis Presley could sit there and match both sides of the family tree. Let me just stop you there. So uh, let me stop you there. was lined up to do that, and I don't know, they backed out, whatever the case may be. So all of a sudden, Fox had this DNA sample that had been extracted and profiled, but they had no one to test it against. They had no valid DNA. And I can tell you this much, it's extremely difficult to try to find valid Elvis Presley DNA. I mean, it's just, yeah, it's extremely difficult. So when she started telling me all the different things that led them to believe it was really him, um, I then told her that I had... DNA from the first cousin on the Smith and Presley side. That was the very thing they tried to get in 2002, and they couldn't. Let me remind uh, listeners, Eliza Alice Presley joining us on the line from Memphis, uh, Graceland tonight. And Jesse Garen Presley, of course, is the or was the name of Elvis's stillborn twin brother. So the theory goes... So the, the 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 idea here is that Elvis is living under his, his uh, dead brother's name. Yeah, he. Just, um, I know this sounds funny, but he just misspells it by one letter, and he usually puts it in quotation marks because he knows that he's not, you know, our brother Jesse Garen that, that died at birth. And why would he choose his his brother's name? I, I totally get it because I picture myself doing the same thing. And what he ended up doing is, I, I think beside the loneliness he had as an only child and the fact that he had been a twin but you know, grew up without any siblings, grew up without a twin. I think he felt in a lot of ways, I think he felt guilty. The, the way that it's, and, and it's 
written the book that he ended up doing in 2001 as well, but the way it's also been explained to me by several people very close to him is that Elvis Presley had 42 years on Earth, okay, from 1935 to 1977. So what he wants to be able to do is he wants to be able to give his brother the same 42 years that he was afforded, so to speak. And he was literally able to turn around and just walk away from being Elvis Presley, which had to be extremely hard. It had to be easy in the respect that probably if he would have kept going the way he was, he really would have died. But he was able to walk away from it. And uh, For those not familiar with the backstory, in 2002, uh, there was a, 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 a physician in... Independence, Missouri, I believe, Dr. Donald Hinton, I've, I've, I, I talked to him a number of times, who uh, believed that he was treating uh, Elvis Presley uh, for various ailments and uh, had DNA evidence uh, to, to prove that this was, in fact, Elvis Presley, still alive and living again under an assumed name, and the book that came out was called The Truth About Elvis Aaron Presley, in his own words. Uh, Eliza, uh, hold on. We'll be back in uh, just a moment on the other side to discuss some more of the uh, DNA evidence. Stay with us. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. We've reached Eliza Alice Presley. She's at Graceland attending the candlelight vigil for, uh, well, not for Elvis. Uh, That would be hypocritical or, or ironic, I suppose, because she believes Elvis is alive. Uh, however, uh, Elvira Alice Presley has, she says, DNA evidence to prove she is Vernon Presley's daughter, making her Elvis's half-sister. But further, she believes Elvis is, in fact, still alive. The judge in Tennessee last year certainly found enough compelling evidence to reopen the case uh, in other words, that you can prove you are Vernon Presley's uh, daughter. But what about the evidence suggesting that Jesse Garen Presley is, in fact, Elvis? Is that DNA evidence as compelling? It's very compelling because not only, not only does Jesse match myself, but Jesse matches the Smith and Presley side. Jesse matches Elvis's first cousins on both sides of the family tree, Smith and Presley. Well, guess what? The only living person that's male that can match both sides of the family tree is Elvis. Explain to me again, then, that the 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 DNA evidence that came from from Jesse. This was a a a, a swab taken from his uh, inside his his mouth, correct? He actually. They filmed it. They have it documented where they put together a um, cheek swab kit, DNA kit. Back in 2002, they had it marked. They had, they filmed it. They did everything. Um, they turned around and they sealed it up. They sent it to him, and he did the cheek swabs. He sent it back, and because they had all the same markings, they know for a fact that it was the same DNA kit, and when they turned around and extracted it, Unfortunately, they did not have the first cousins to test against it like they hoped to. So again, to clarify, Jesse Presley's DNA matched both sides of the, of, uh, of the family, not only his father's side, but his mother's side. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. only Elvis would be able to do that. Only Elvis Presley can match both sides of Elvis's family tree. It's that simple. DNA doesn't lie. It, it, just, it doesn't have the capacity to. 
Eliza Alice Presley on The Conspiracy Show, and uh, she's at the, uh, the Candlelight Vigil at Graceland as we speak. What sort of contact have you had with, with uh, your brother, Jesse, a.k.a. Elvis Presley? Um, actually, after I got the DNA back last year and knew the truth and everything took the weird left turn and kind of being blindsided, um, I actually got in contact with an individual that is um, basically his go-between. It's the person listed in the, the book as Bern, uh, B-E-R-N. Trevor I sent a package to him. I put a really, really long handwritten letter. I told him who I was. I told him the background and everything. And um, it ended up being probably maybe two to four weeks later. Then I got a call from Burns telling me that within that weekend that um, Jesse would be calling me. And sure enough, he did. Um, yeah, he ended up calling me late that night. You spoke to Jesse on the phone. Did it sound like Elvis Presley? <laughs> Unfortunately, he uses a voice changer or a modulator, whatever you want to call it. And if you remember when everything came out with, um, God, forgive me for saying her name wrong, see the Gail Giorgio Brewer, Gail Brewer Giorgio? Yes. Uh, when she did that book, what was the name of it? Um, is Elvis alive? Is, is, he, is he coming back or something? Yes, I remember, and she claimed to have had a telephone conversation with him. Exactly, the cassette tape, okay? Well, she turned around and she put, she bundled that tape with that book when she sold it. Yes. And even in that tape, she specifically admits that a brother of the person that worked for Jeff, that he turned around and was going to call first, and that he asked specifically that she does not record anything, okay? And what her cardinal sin was, not only did she record it, which I think it would have been one thing if she would have kept it to herself for her own records or whatever, but she had it published and she put it with the book, and that was the last time that he turned around and made phone calls, and that was in October of 88, and that was the last time that he made phone calls without using the voice changer for that very reason when she did it. But that case, um, yeah, in fact, it was interesting because even when I spoke with him, you can hear the voice inflections, you could hear... It, the, the wording that he used, it, it was just, it was absolutely him. There was no doubt in my mind because there's things that come through even with the voice modulator. All right. Uh, has, has Jesse made it known to you whether he will, in fact, make make himself known to you, will, whether he will present himself to you at some point? Where he would do it, where he would meet me? Yes. I'm not sure how much of this I should say. Um, I guess the easiest way to put it is that um, he tried. The and he was going to turn around and call me the following week uh, when we hung up that night, and about what it amounted to is he ended up showing up um, at the address that he thought was mine, but I don't I didn't live at that address. I just used it for mailing, and instead of calling me the following week, he ended up coming to where he thought I lived. The um, give us a, quickly the the status of your court case because I understand you withdrew the case from that particular uh, court in Tennessee. Uh, so, give us the uh, an update on the on the court proceedings of this this case. Yeah, actually, I didn't drop my case like people think. I didn't drop my case last year, and it wasn't dismissed from court or anything like that. Um, I actually I filed it in probate court because probate has to do with. Uh, wills and airship and all of that, right? So I filed it in probate court, unfortunately, which they did admit it, 
And they also did grant my petition, and they reopened Vernon's estate for the first time after 23 years. And um, unfortunately, we had to go ahead and let it be dismissed without prejudice, I think is the term, simply because they did not have the ability to um, decide on airship. Okay. Had I been included in Vernon's will already, then yes, it would have been the proper um, legal venue. But because I wasn't, they couldn't do anything. So what we did is we, either in December or January, we allowed it to be dismissed from probate court so that we could then turn around and refile in the proper court or actually in a higher court um, that could make a determination. So anyway, we landed here this week, and I actually have refiled in court. I refiled my case as of yesterday. You tell me a little bit, a bit about the petition that you filed on Friday. Um, I was actually on my way back to the attorney's office. I had just left a plastic surgeon here in Memphis that I set up an appointment with because my birth mother had made allegations after she saw the footage of me in the courthouse last year on October 8th, right? Yes. So she made allegations uh, to another local channel here and spoke with a reporter later saying that she was stunned and she was shocked at my appearance and that it was obvious I had had major reconstructive um, or plastic surgery implants or whatever to make myself look like the Presley's, to look like Vernon's, to look like Elvis, that she was just stunned because she couldn't believe how much I looked like them. So what I did is I turned around and I paid my own money to do it, went to a plastic surgeon yesterday and actually got a written statement where he said, I've never had anything done to my face, basically. So I felt good about that. And we were trying to hurry because we, we were down to a crazy deadline yesterday. We ended up having a race to the courthouse. We literally got there. The cutoff time was 4.30. We got there at 4.22 with eight minutes to spare. You're very confident in your DNA evidence, obviously. Do you believe that at the end of this court case, should you win, the media will get on board and actually declare that Elvis is alive? Well, yeah, actually, no one's going to have a choice to. And the, the, the comment that was told, the comment that was told, because there was someone that was very concerned about my court case coming out last year, and so basically what he told them is that he did not care if, he didn't care if the DNA was out there, and he didn't care if the truth was out there that he was alive, as long as no one knew his location. Has he had surgery? And, has he had reconstructive surgery? Yeah, he has, but you can, in that book, there's a photo of him taken in 94, where he was with Lisa Marie's son, Benjamin. And he had had, you know, some work done. How is his health? He's 74 years old. Um, we kind of find out we, we share some health problems on the pain issues, and he definitely thought, um, suffers from, from chronic pain, and he has issues with his back and spinal fractures from the karate and, and you know, all the shows that he did nonstop. He abused his body horribly. It's not what it amounts to. And I was told, you know, he's had a couple, three different types of surgeries. I didn't really ask questions of what. And I know that he had a minor stroke in 2000 and, gosh, I, I want to say it had to be the end of 2001, or it was the beginning of 2002. Does he still sing? I know this is going to sound bizarre. I have never even asked him or thought to ask him. And it's because, because of the fact that I was looking for my family, and I was adopted, and I was trying to find you know, how, out who my dad was after 
I've met my real mother and everything. I've never, I don't think of him as Elvis like you or anybody else would because to me, first, he's Jeff or Jesse. He's my brother and he's family. I mean, my, my children are his only, you know, nieces and nephews, just all kinds of stuff. So I, I don't relate to him as Elvis, and it's never dawned on me to actually ask him that question. I would think he does simply because he enjoyed it so much, and he gave so much to his fans, and I know that he loves performing just from all the footage and everything that I've watched. I think it's just the whole lifestyle that he couldn't handle anymore, not because he wanted to just, you know, walk away because he didn't love his fans because he did extremely much. He was supposed to go through with this. From what I understand, um, the planning for it started in 74. He was originally supposed to go through with it in 76, and he chickened out. I never asked why. And then finally did it, you know, toward the end of 77. And um, it had to be the hardest thing that he ever did, but yet it had to be easy at the same time because he really just wanted a normal life. And being Elvis Presley, you don't get to just retire and hope you have a normal life. It wouldn't have happened. All right, Eliza, I'll let you get back to the uh, the vigil where you can uh, pay respects to your your late father, Vernon, and uh, your grandmother. Uh, but, of course, you're not there to uh, to mourn Elvis because he is, in fact, still walking this earth as Jesse Garen Presley. Eliza Alice Presley, I thank you for your time. Thank you very much, Richard. And, yeah, I wish you a good night. Appreciate it, and good luck on your new show. Thank you very much. All right, take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Live from Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. Good to have you aboard the Maiden Voyage here, 550 Queen Street East in uh, Toronto, the good. Dan Ellison flying this uh, spaceship and uh, taking your calls. He's your concierge, really. And uh, my mentor, financial advisor, and only friend. Uh, We are going to talk about the swine flu for the next hour. It's really, uh, I believe, the big story as we head into the fall. Because if this continues to mirror the swine flu of 1918, as we are repeatedly told, it is a mirror image. Of course, it came around in the spring and uh, will then sort of lie low in the summer, which it did. Certainly the media stopped talking about it. And then it'll come back with a vengeance in the fall as it did in 1918, uh, this time a far more virulent strain. And uh, it may come back again and again and again to bite us in the behind. Now I'm hearing reports that the World Health Organization has issued a binding recommendation. Isn't that a bit of a contradiction in terms? A, it's like mandatory volunteerism. A binding recommendation to all member countries requiring them to institute mandatory vaccination programs. Under an existing multilateral agreement, this formally invokes each state's pandemic plan and puts coordination under control of the World Health Organization. I don't know about you, but that scares me, chills me to the bone. All right, is this, in fact, the big one? Is it a legitimate pandemic? Or is it some sort of psychological warfare experiment being perpetrated uh, 
uh, well, I suppose by the agents of the New World Order. We're going to discuss this for an hour. Your, in, your uh, participation is strongly encouraged. It's not a binding recommendation, but I think you'll want to get involved. Along with, they call him the King David of Natural Healing versus the Goliath of Slash Burn and Poison Medicine. Dr. Len Horowitz is an internationally known authority in the overlapping fields of public health, behavioral science, emerging diseases, natural healing, and the author of a number of fantastic uh, best-selling books, including uh, Emerging Viruses, AIDS, and Ebola, Healing Codes of the Biological Apocalypse, DNA Pirates of the Sacred Spiral, on and on it goes. Uh, busy man, and we're happy uh, to have him aboard the Conspiracy Show. Len, how are you? Oh, great, Richard. Such a great pleasure to join you. All right, and uh, I'll also have you say hello to um, the second member of our uh, panel here tonight. I like to call her the lab gal. Dr. Patricia Doyle is a retired doctor of veterinarian medicine. She holds a Ph.D. in business administration and tropical agricultural economics from the University of the West Indies. And uh, these days she spends her days riding her motorcycle in upstate New York, rehabilitating injured deer on her farm. But she's also dedicated her life to researching and tracking emerging diseases and viruses, especially zoonotic diseases such as avian influenza and anthropod-borne illnesses. Dr. Patricia Doyle, welcome to you. Well, Richard, congratulations on your premier event. And I was listening here in upstate New York, and you sound great. I appreciate it. This is one, uh, this, this signal, I tell you, at AM 740, just it takes no prisoners. It kicks butt and takes no prisoners. It's a monster. That's I, that has been my station for quite a while. I, I love the music, and uh, I've been listening, and I do want to uh, say hello to my friend Len, Dr. Oh. Horowitz. I am yes. so in awe of this man. He has connected all the dots, and he's just great. All right. He's got all his ducks in a row, and when Len speaks, you know. <laughs> Let me get your, both of your uh, reactions to this, uh, this story. Uh, Len, you first. The World Health Organization issuing a binding recommendation to all member countries requiring them to institute mandatory vaccination programs. I think I know what you're going to say. <laughs> well, first of all, I do want to say hi, Patricia. It's such a great pleasure to join you also. And then, Richard, yes, indeed, congratulations on your new show. Thank you. May it be a complete blessing for you and your listeners. All right. This uh, World Health Organization binding recommendation, your thoughts? <laughs> you know, sadly, this is, as you have been following for many years, a extension of the Rockefeller's plan. You know, first of all, the, what are the links to Rockefeller and emerging diseases in the World Health Organization? First of all, the United Nations is created. It was built in the United States by Rockefeller's family. Rockefellers have been at the forefront of the cancer industry, basically the military, medical, petrochemical, pharmaceutical cartel for about the last hundred years. And that beyond that, this disease surveillance outposts that track these flus and these new emerging diseases. It was all set up by the Rockefellers and the Rockefeller Foundation. This was many years ago when I published the book Emerging Viruses, AIDS, and Ebola. I made sure that people knew about that. And the reality is that the new pandemic that has evolved has emerged out of laboratories. It's man-made. It's basically to advance a 
financial agenda, which is essentially profiteering off of humanity's suffering, which is the classic definition of genocide. And so we have genocide masquerading under the guise of public health in the United States that is profiting the Rockefeller family mainly, along with the drug industrialists and the vaccine industrialists that are likewise allied in one cartel, and that the World Health Organization is just virtually like you could consider the Gestapo. And uh, through the United States and the FDA and the CDC and the policy administrators that are positioned into states and state agencies by CDC, we have a top-down direction of not just legislation, statutory law that violates the United States Constitution and has therefore really no substantive basis in law. It is simply a psychological operation and fear induction that is causing people to comply with these fascist totalitarian objectives of the Rockefeller and Rothschild and George Soros, the people that control the Geneto pharmaceutical industry, the people, the same people that want to reduce world's population by half, and they're using their arm, the World Health Organization, to man, allegedly mandate. So you notice the language. Read that language again, Richard. All right. Uh, now, let me see. Uh, it says, now you've caught me off guard. I've closed it. Here it is. Uh, the World Health Organization has issued a binding recommendation to all member countries requiring them to institute mandatory vaccination programs. Under an existing multilateral agreement, this formally invokes each state's pandemic plan and puts coordination under control of the World Health Organization. For some Wait, European... Okay, so the word recommendation, that means it has no uh, definitive mandate. So it's an oxymoron. It's a mandated nothing is what it amounts to. And the states, again, you're dealing with jurisdiction, first of all. If you're going to have a mandate, then you have to have the, you have to be in the jurisdiction. If I was a federal employee or I was in the military and I signed my life on the dotted line, I'd lose my jurisdiction and sovereignty to exempt. But the truth of the matter is that the Constitution for the United States is still applying and it states you have life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, and that if the government is going to take your property, that is, in this case, if the government is going to inject, infect, intoxicate, and mutilate your immune system, they're going to steal your immune system, God's given gift to keep humanity safe and healthy, it's going to take that, steal that, and inject and intoxicate that for allegedly public health and safety against flu. Well, if they're going to do that, according to the United States Constitution, they must, I mean, shall, no ifs, ands, or buts about it, apply compensation or provide equitable, reasonable compensation. Okay, Len, I've got to uh, step away here. Stay tight. And uh, also, Dr. Patricia Doyle on the line, uh, stay with us as well. I'll get your take on this uh, uh, binding recommendation from the World Health Organization, but to all of you listening, something wicked this way comes, the swine flu. We are told this is the big one. Do you believe it, or do you think this is some sort of psychological warfare experiment? Back with more. Stay with us. Curiosity, or did the devil make you do it? Whatever the reason, welcome back to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. 
To talk to Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll free in Ontario at 1-866-740-4740. Dr. Len Horowitz and Dr. Patricia Doyle, the lab gal, on the line talking swine flu and uh, their reaction to the World Health Organization's binding recommendation that... uh, States and uh, jurisdictions ramp up for some sort of mandatory vaccination program. Dr. Patricia Doyle, over to you. To jab or not to jab? Well, Richard, uh, they uh, certainly are revving up. Uh, this, this wine flu, though, is on a par with seasonal flu at this time. And um, I just wanted to bring this little matter up, that the vaccine... And this has been known, uh, in fact, uh, letters have gone out in July, uh, 15th of July, we're going back to, uh, to neurologists uh, around the globe. And they are warning neurologists to be on the lookout for very serious neurological disease, uh, Guillain-Barre syndrome. And we know that this would be associated with swine flu vaccination. We know in 1976 that uh, this was the case back in 76 when there wasn't even a swine flu. I believe one recruit had died and another recruit um, had contracted uh, swine flu. But I believe that was from the vaccines that the recruits were given. So with two cases of swine flu, uh, they, the government made a major outbreak, and people like myself went out and got, took the vaccination. I was sick for three months, and my concern has been that the vaccine companies are going to pass this 1976 vaccine on to the public. Uh, maybe not the same vaccine in the vials, but they are probably going to make a carbon copy of uh, that vaccine. And with these letters that have gone out to the neurologists uh, to be aware of cases of GBS, um, that tells me that this vaccine is not safe. And the World Health Organization, as Len can uh, tell you, they intend to start jabbing people. And uh, Greece has already said that they are going to to vaccinate each and every citizen in their country. So this indeed is getting quite scary. Dr. Doyle, you and I had talked about this before. I asked you directly at that time whether you thought that H1N1 or this strain was in fact engineered in a lab. You've heard Dr. Horowitz, he's been yes. he's quite emphatic that it that it yes. is. Have you changed your mind or do you still believe this is a naturally occurring uh, influenza? Richard, I don't know. I have here an article that I sent you from uh, a Bloomberg article, and here we have a noted scientist, uh, Dr. Adrian Gibbs, who collaborated on research uh, that led to the uh, development of Tamiflu, and he seems to, uh, his, his research, and he looked at the sequence, um, tells him that uh, he believes that this swine flu was actually indeed uh, created in a lab, that it was uh, during uh, vaccine research that it had mutated 
uh, within the eggs and had spread um, to the pigs that that were uh, infected. I don't know. I looked at the uh, some of the sequence. We know that these viruses have been uh, circulating in swine. Uh, I sent you another article about another case now in Kansas. Uh, this is just too too many coincidences. Now we have the case of a child that has come down with a virus, an H3N2, uh, that has not been uh, found in humans before. This one is a swine flu virus peculiar to pigs, and it has been circulating in North America. Richard, all, virtually all of the, uh, the outbreaks, uh, pandemics, and the uh, outbreaks of influenza start in Asia, whether it's East Asia or Southeast Asia. They start in the East. This swine flu, uh, combined with the 1918 flu, um, began in North America. Uh, all of this adds up to a lot of credence in what Dr. Horowitz is saying. Well, Len, uh, what, is, what is it? Uh, is it the sequencing or is it the, the, the speed at which this uh, flu was mutating earlier on that has convinced you that it has been engineered? Both, because the rate of mutation, the speed of, of mutation is based on the genetic sequences because when you cut and splice and paste and use reverse, and reverse genetic engineering, which, which is what they're using for these flu vaccines, they're actually reversing from old pieces of genetic material, new pieces, and when you put them together, they're not like they've been together for millennia, like a natural virus. It's obviously man-made because what happens is that those combining points are unstable. And because those splicing points are unstable, they break apart more rapidly and they mutate. Therefore, when it jumps from one person to the next, far, 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 far more. I mean, way statistically significant, like no possibility you could have anything but a laboratory mutant. So this is the science that Dr. Gibbs and others have brought to bear, and Patricia is completely correct. It, it, this really heavily indicates that this is a laboratory outbreak. Hold on. And it's All right. not we'll, just an, it's okay. not an accident. Okay, we'll get to some calls when we come back. Dr. Len Horowitz, Dr. Patricia Doyle, Something Wicked This Way Comes. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. All right, welcome back. Dr. Len Horowitz on the line and Dr. Patricia Doyle as well as we talk about swine flu. Let's go to the phones and uh, we'll pick it up in Niagara Falls, and uh, say hello to Doreen. Doreen, welcome. Welcome back, Richard. I can't keep a good man off the radio. Well, good to have you aboard as well. And I know. We think you're fantastic. By the way, I'd like to thank Dr. Doyle and Dr. Horovich for revealing the truth. It's following the money, and what it is is that these certain people high up, whether it's Bilderbergers or whatever, with the one word order, it's a case of whom they decide should live or die. Do you agree or not? Len, uh, Patricia, whoever wants to jump in on that one? 
I apologize, Richard. I could barely hear the caller from where I'm sitting. Well, essentially, Doreen is saying that uh, what this amounts to are very powerful individuals deciding who gets to live and who gets to die. So this is some. This is a part of a, a major depopulation agenda. That's exactly what it is. And what's happening is this is a psychological operation that's necessary to conduct this kind of genocide, this depopulation. It's according to the standard military textbooks. I mean, it's absolutely standard. You need to have these mass-mediated frights and population manipulations in order to get intoxications through vaccinations. That's what you've got to give. That's what's called non-lethal warfare. It's all written up in the, mili- in the um, war college, U.S. War College's um, Revolution in Military Affairs and the uh, non-conducting of non-lethal warfare, which, which is a misnomer. It kills people slowly. These viruses and the drugs that are provided to, uh, like Tamiflu, to combat the flu. There's Donald Rumsfeld from Gilead Science Corporation, and he's also the guy who is behind the um, aspartame sweeteners. This is, this, you know, profiteering off of humanity's suffering because they're intoxications, they're drugs, and combinations of drugs which weaken the immune system and biological agents is the number one way in which non-traceable, uh, non-lethal warfare, biological weaponry and biochemical weaponry is now advanced by the military. It is the standard warfare, biological and biochemical warfare that has been tested so well, Richard, they know precisely how many people are going to die from these exposures. They've got it all nailed down. If you would read the uh, population material that's put out by Battelle Memorial Institute and the, the population volumes that deal with how do you manage populations and is put out by the same people that virtually created the anthrax that was mailed, the Battelle Memorial Institute. World Health Organization is warning 2 billion infections within uh, 10 years. Uh, your thoughts on that, uh, Dr. Doyle? Um, well, I have to concur with Dr. Wendt said, and of course, if uh, people are weakened through vaccines and um, also uh, we, I have a, at my fingertips, Richard, a list uh, starting at 1931 of bio-war events that have been perpetrated on innocent civilians and also on some of the military with and without their knowledge. And um, that, that would be just continuing the trend. They know how, ma- how many people will die. And, um, yeah, I, that's, uh, that's about it. I, I totally concur with what Glenn said. This vaccine is supposedly is to contain an adjuvant called squalene, which uh, is, mm-hmm. is, is, I understand, similar to your natural tissue. Uh, so what, what, ex- what, what is squalene? Why do they put it in the vaccine? And, and uh, what are the concerns there? Well, it's a natural protein, and it's much like the studies that were engaged in producing the human chorionogonadotrophic hormone, that's a mouthful, HCG for short. In essence, it's the female pregnancy hormone that as a hormone and a protein basically it basically fools the immune system and that 
it causes the immune system to mount an attack against the real protein. So women who get pregnant, they secrete HCG. But if you've been injected with HCG from vaccinations, which is what they did, and in fact, your number one president of the United States science director, science czar, John Holdren, has actually come out in, in a co-authored book years ago that talked about depopulation and population reduction using injections, vaccinations, intoxications, and that's what they administered with the tetanus vaccine in hundreds of thousands of women in the United States, mostly in the black community, which is why now you're 25 to 30% of your black women in urban America are sterile. You have about the same number of native North American women are sterile. And in the Philippine population, they're likewise, that percentage is sterile because of the vaccinations. Now, you've even had the Roman Catholic Church come out, uh, oppose this type of population inoculation for population reduction, you know? And so this is birth control or it is, it is a kind of intoxication. When it comes to squalene, it uses the same kind of mechanism whereby instead of basically attacking the normal HCG, it attacks the protein, the, the actual squalene that is produced by the human being because the injection of foreign squalene is significantly different, but it's similar so that the immune system recognizes it as foreign. And it's just like Dr. Doyle talked about earlier, the Guillain-Barre, which, in fact, I don't know if uh, Patricia remembers this, but my mother died of that, va that vaccine and that precise injury. And we're, it's basically the same as the squalene, because in Guillain-Barre, your white blood cell bodyguards in the immune system get fooled by the injection of the foreign proteins, just like in squalene, it's a foreign protein, or in HCG, it's a foreign protein. And so the immune system of my mother, once she got injected with the swine flu, her own white blood cell bodyguards began to attack and destroy her own proteins. And the scientists and the immunologists call the cause what's called an antigenic complex that's made of like what you've got injected with combined with your own body part. And that's what fools the immune system because it can't recognize self from non-self. So this is why uh, this particular strain of uh, 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 swine flu, they're, they're warning us, uh, is going to be so deadly on, on people otherwise in the prime of their life, not necessarily immune compromised. The, those you know, young, able-bodied uh, adults, uh, is, is that the case? Because it's the, the, the immune system, basically, a healthy immune system is going to be working overtime and, and, and attacking a healthy body. Yes, the, the, basically right now the entire population is under attack. There's no question in my mind. And yet there's these foolish recommendations that have been issued by the World Health Organization as though they were really total proponents of population reduction. Uh, for example, pregnant women have been singled out as to receive this mercury squalene laden dose of toxins and so why would you do that i mean anybody in medicine i mean we we bend over backwards to not do anything potentially harmful to this mother and this fetus which is neurologically developing imagine injecting mercury the most 
neurotoxic substance on planet Earth into this mother who's giving life a chance. And this is what they call public health. This just goes to show, I mean, Richard, this is standard, um, like Hitlerian propaganda. You tell a lie long enough, eventually we believe this truth, said Joseph Goebbels. All right, let's go back to the propaganda minister. Let's go back to the phone. The greater the lie, the more stupid sheeple going to the slaughter are going to buy into it. And this is the the case with giving babies, 12-hour-old infants, hepatitis B vaccines in hospitals. It's the same thing as now we're going to inject mercury and aluminum and formaldehyde and formalin into these mothers who are bearing, you know, fetuses. This is absolutely disgusting. All right. Can I ask now, a question? Yes, but first let me do this, uh, oh. because, uh, you know, d- despite uh, um, what you've said, Len, I, um, it behooves me uh, to, uh, to have people, you know, consult their physicians, uh, because this is obviously is a, is a delicate medical uh, issue. And um, now I've covered that off nicely. I can, I, I've, I've squared that away. Dr. Doyle, go ahead, and then we'll get to the phones. Yeah, when I wanted to, to ask uh, when, do you think that, because there has been a, a surge in uh, mild retardation developmental delays. Uh, my own daughter is uh, mildly retarded, and I, I, I can't help but wonder, I see this, surge in cases. Do you think that that's a result of all these vaccines? There's two things that are going on here, Patricia. One of them is, yes, medical genocide and intoxication, and that's for the general autistic spectrum population, the children who are autism, autistic and have uh, these other learning disabilities, attention deficits, hyperactivity disorders, uh, these kinds of neurological impairments are definitively linked. You look at Wakefield studies, you look at numerous other studies that uh, the government, the genocidalists, do not want to look at, but yet there's a ton of science, very, very excellent science. And, of course, you know, there's a ton of science from mercury dentals, dental mercury, and all the... Uh, there have been countries like Sweden that have banned... Dental mercury. So the, this is the, the same thing. We have the Food and Drug Administration, the American Dental Association, the American Medical Association, all Rockefeller puppets and drug cartel drug pushers. They're essentially then now intoxicating our children. And what are they showing us on television? They're giving you the whole agenda. In a 60-second ad, they give you 10 seconds of all the toxic side effects that you can expect to get from all the toxic drugs that they want to give you as normal life. All right, let's go to the phones, and a gentleman or a, a lady standing by wishing to be known as a doctor. You're on the air. Go ahead. Richard, very good to uh, hear your voice again invading the radio. Thank you. Your question, comment for Dr. Doy, uh, Doyle or Horowitz? I was just um, going to bring up the fact that um, recently there's been a lot of legislation passed um, preparing for civil unrest and whatnot, and that is directly related to people who are going to be refusing to take the uh, uh, vaccine. And how do you know this? Uh, Just things I've been reading on the Internet, like preparing for civil unrest, um, possible upheaval, that sort of thing. That's true. Uh, I have an article here. Uh, I believe it was in Maine, the National Guard. They've been drilling at a high school up there. And uh, that is to prepare for possible H1N1. Now, it's not for them handing out medicine, 
of course they're preparing for civil unrest. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, uh, going back to vaccine, um, the virus can also mutate within the vaccine. Now, in uh, the case of polio, uh, we, we just had another major outbreak of polio in Nigeria because of the virus mutating. And what happens is, is people get uh, vaccinated with the polio vaccine, and then they get polio, and uh, the polio then is uh, just as contagious as though it, uh, it was a wild type. All right, let me, and, let me bring this back, if I could, to, to the swine flu. Uh, because I'd li- in the future, obviously, we can we can do a show dedicated to strictly vaccines. But but let me ask you: in September, let's assume for a moment that uh, the, uh, the the World Health Organization uh, has not dropped the other shoe, and we're not going to be mandated to receive vaccinations. What are we supposed to do? Who who are we supposed to believe? Should we stay home? Should we keep our kids out of public school and daycare? Should we uh, uh, wear wear masks on the uh, on the subways? What do we do? Oh, boy, Richard, that's a great question, and I think that nobody really has a complete answer for that. There have been a number of people that have written, journalists written some suggested scenarios, but nobody's got the crystal ball except the people at the highest level of of government. If I had to call it, I would say that the uh, urgency that they're going to create, I'd say that there's a really great possibility, uh, a probably a 60 to 75% probability that the government central intelligence agency, which has been working in biological weaponry and advancing these types of outbreaks, such as the anthrax mailing, that they're going to do something extraordinary and that that extraordinary urgency is going to create this fear and the government is then going to step in and, of course, be Johnny on the spot saviors as they were down in New Orleans with the hurricane down there, Katrina, of course, which, with, you know, you see FEMA's response, you see the Fed's response to these kinds of urgencies. You're going to see total chaos, devastation, destruction, and population reduction. And so this is what I think there's a great likelihood, but the main, I have to repeat this, if you're listening tonight, you would have to be completely stupid to go get vaccinated. Do whatever you can, and you tell everybody that you love and you care for to run as far away as, from they can, as people can possibly get from anybody that comes up to your door bearing vaccinations. Now, according to several articles, the social services departments are going to be assisting as deputies for the health commissioners and health departments that are going to come knocking on people's doors with three vaccines, three flu vaccines. And so the administration of this, I think, as what Patricia Doyle just said and what the caller requested information on, is you have actually this week running nationally, the National Guard is hiring, they tell us, for escorts for people to be escorted under armed guard to these kinds of facilities where they say quarantine is going to happen. Of course, if you really start to study the contracts, it's all Halliburton, who's been making the mass money fortunes for private uh, investors from the Carlyle Group that includes the Bin Laden family and the Bush family, as well as top uh, British and and, uh, German investors. 
and you've got now the people set up for the, running the concentration camps are these private entities. So the caller's question, I think there's a great likelihood that what he's thinking is going to happen. All right, uh, listen. And, you uh, know, we're going to have a prayer session. I know Greg Ciola from the Crusader, who's been a real uh, a maverick and a hero and a patriot and somebody who's trying to save lives. He's got a newspaper called the Crusader. He and I have talked recently about organizing for September a major global prayer so that we pray for coverage and protection from the angels of protection because we don't know what's going to happen. All right. And only God knows. I know what's going to happen right now. I'm going to uh, take a break. But let me just tell people out there listening, I cannot sit in this chair, have access to this microphone, uh, and tell you not to have the vaccine or to have the vaccine. You've heard what Dr. Len Horowitz has said. You've heard what Dr. Patricia Doyle has said. I urge you to go out, do your own research, ask questions, speak to your doctor, make your own decision. Let's all hope that we have that right to make our own decision. Back with more of the swine flu here on The Conspiracy Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. I don't know about you, but I'm sitting here scratching my head trying to figure out what's worse, the disease or the cure. Uh, Dr. Patricia Doyle is uh, with us, the lab gal. She spends her days in upstate New York rehabilitating injured deer, riding her motorcycle, and tracking the coming plagues and emerging viruses and, of course, uh, Dr. Leonard Horowitz, the King David of Natural Healing, internationally known authority in the uh, fields of public health, behavioral science, emerging diseases, and natural healing. Uh, let's go back to the phones and say hello to WOG. Welcome hey, to The Conspiracy Show. Hello. Richard. Hi there. Good. Back on the air, sir. Thank you. Good to be back. Uh, just wanted to say that you've got two great guests on tonight, and... Uh... And what Len was saying about uh, staying in a good love vibration is very important, for sure. Like that national prayer thing, a very important thing. But I wanted to raise the point of, uh, I don't know if uh, Dr. Horowitz is aware of Eleanor McBean's book uh, called Vaccinations Condemned, talking about the 1918 flu uh, pandemic that happened, the influenza pandemic. Basically what happened was the uh, military and the public were massively inoculated, supposedly against all these diseases. And, this. and Eleanor McBean and her family did not take the vaccination, as well as other people. But basically, the, the notion is that all those that took it got sick. And Eleanor McBean uh, has the memory. She was actually a witness to the, the pandemic and said that her family were one of the only ones in our town that were going around taking care of sick people because they didn't take the vaccination. So I'm, uh, I'm wondering if the similar thing is going to be happening with this one. And I'd like to hear my answer off the air. Thank you. All right, Dr. Doyle, we haven't heard from you in a while. Did you want to uh, address that uh, question? Uh, well, I haven't read the book, and I really have no information about uh, any vaccinations uh, during 1918 flu. So I will have to ask Glenn, do you know about it? I have no information on it, so I cannot comment. You know, that's a book I haven't read, but I really need to read. Absolutely. Thank you very much for sharing that. It doesn't surprise me at all that the 1918 uh, 
swine flu was caused, triggered by a vaccination program. You know, the first reference that's unbelievable, the totally amazing first reference comes from 1776 in a document that's been basically demonized as being today the most anti-Semitic document in the world. It's called the Protocols of the Elders of Zion. And as a Messianic Jew, I can tell you that I was very pleased to read that book, especially having graduated when I did back in uh, the 1970s when they were still teaching people to read and to read things that were racist or that were uh, anti-Semitic so that you can understand literature and you can understand psychological manipulations of the mind based on uh, these kinds of promotions. At any rate, the first document in the United States, uh, uh, I'm sorry, in the world that I'm aware of that talks about injecting people with diseases is this Protocols of the Elders of Science. Now that was around, again, came out initially about uh, 1776, and subsequent to that you have the people, uh, the native North Americans were given smallpox laced blankets as gifts right. to spread to the native populations this disease. So that was certainly operating by the late 1800s, so you had already biological warfare operating then. And then the injections, I know that by 1918 there were already vaccinations that were being certainly used experimentally. And it wouldn't surprise me, I know that the military has been used, I think you mentioned it earlier, Patricia, as consistently throughout history, experimental guinea pigs for drug companies, and that the, uh, the last large uh, swine flu pandemic, allegedly, that broke out in 76 was supposedly breaking out uh, in an isolated area of, I think it was New Jersey, where or, where, or somewhere one of the military bases where, they, where injections had occurred. And so this is, again, something that I would love to read that book. I don't have that knowledge, but I would uh, say that it's okay. consistent with everything I'm looking at. All right, I'm, I'm going to uh, uh, take another time out here. Let me just say, uh, uh, I'm, I have to be honest, Len, I'm very, very uh, nervous about references to the document that you cited, the, the Prairie of Sion, because it has been... Uh, in many, many, many quarters, uh, uh, basically discredited. However, uh, that's your uh, your take on it. I um, I can't say that it's mine in, in terms of the validity of that particular document. It is a very, very contentious issue. It's an understandably very, very sore point with a lot of people. Um, however, the um, the other points that you made about the uh, the targeting of North American Indians and the smallpox uh, uh, virus, I, I certainly subscribe to um, much as it, that has been written and said about that. And Dr. Doyle stays with us, uh, Dr. Horowitz, and we'll take your calls as well. The swine flu, is it in fact the pandemic they've been warning against uh, us about, a naturally occurring one, or is this some engineered psychological warfare experiment? Stay with us. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. And we know 
Certainly feels like the dark end of the street. Sounds like we are in the shadows, but it's time to start kicking holes in the darkness because we have something wicked coming this way. We are told, and uh, again, if, if this swine flu is to mirror the 1918 swine flu, it's going to come back with a vengeance this fall. Dr. Patricia Doyle is uh, with us, the lab gal, tracking emerging viruses around the world, and uh, of course, Dr. Len Horowitz. Uh, in September, again, let me ask you this question. Uh, I mean, what are, what, what's your worst case scenario? Uh, let me ask you, Dr. Doyle, to begin with. Uh, are, yeah. we, are we going to see, uh, in 1918, of course, we had uh, uh, the funeral business was booming and we had funerals that lasted about, uh, you know, 15 minutes and then they brought in the next one and then the next one and then the next one. It couldn't keep up. Is it going to be that bad? Well, first of all, we, as the people, we can prevent it. Um, this is one of the most important things that you can do, uh, people out in uh, radio land. Please, please, if you feel ill, do not go out in public. That alone can uh, prevent a lot of the spread. If you feel, and you believe me, you know the difference between flu and cold. You feel as though you're coming down with the flu, and you speak, and you have a temperature, and uh, you just do not go out. Do not go to work. Do not pass the virus on. And I think that we can control a lot of the spread. And um, as, as you've heard a million times before, uh, proper hand washing. Um, don't be embarrassed. I, uh, if I go to the uh, store in September and there's a lot of cases uh, around me, I will use uh, the latex gloves, surgical gloves, when I go. Um, I, I don't think it's uh, that perilous to use a mask, but I will use the surgical gloves or uh, neatly disguise them with a pair of gloves over. Dr. Horowitz, let me ask you, and I say this with all love and respect to my good friend, Dr. Doyle, is she buying into the fear? Is she a useful fool? Well, you know, I know Patricia Doyle for many years. She's a loving human being who does some great research and always comes up with some wonderful ideas with regard to the research that she conducts. So I don't have anything bad to say about Patricia. Frankly, uh, she's a dear friend for years. The, the, the issue, I think she's, you know, very few people, Richard, uh, lay it out all on the line like Dr. Len Horowitz does. You know, tonight you've been a little tentative about some of the things I've said, and I appreciate that because, you know, you're on a new radio show, and I support you completely in doing whatever you need to do to stay on because I love you, you are a great voice for freedom in the world, and I support everything that you do. But frankly, you know yourself, what I'm telling you in your heart is the way it is because I haven't lied to you in the 15 years I've known you. I haven't had... 16 books, three bestsellers that have all predicted what's going on today. And uh, I'll give you an example. A couple of weeks ago, I got a call from Dr. Mayer Eisenstein, who is likewise a hero. Years ago, after he heard me speak, he tells the story. He stopped giving his 
pediatric families and patients and, the, and, and his OBGYN also practice of home birthing. He stopped giving vaccines, and now he has 20,000 families with zero cases of autism. And he thanks me, and he says, Len, you've been vindicated recently. You know, we used to think you're radical. And today now, to look around to see what's happening, you were right on all the time. And so this is the, the thing that uh, Patricia Doyle is saying is just common sense. It really it makes sense, but you've got to go to the next level. What is the government not telling you? They're, t- they're not telling you about all the natural ways that you can prevent all this flu. You don't have to get worried. Essentially, there's vitamin D in megadoses. There's vitamin C in megadoses. There's oxysilva, which you know is my most fabulous absolute recommendation for anybody that wants to have a complete elimination from fear and the flu viruses is study silver hydrosols, the most advanced technology in infection control and in infection elimination, and it completely eliminates the need for vaccinations and toxic antibiotics, is the silver hydrosols. The top best-selling one is my favorite. It's called OxySilver. People can get information on OxySilver.com about that product. But the reality is there's many things that people can and should be doing to boost their natural immunity. And number one is stay away from toxicity. Look at, watch what you're eating. Look at the chemicals in the foods. Drink a lot of pH 8 adjusted drinking water. Alkalize your body because if you alkalize your body, the germs can't grow. And so there's very simple things that have been neglected by the public health uh, they, they call themselves public health experts and officials. They're actually genocidalists. They're Manchurian candidates given a license to kill and propagandize genocide under the guise of what they preach. You know, the reality is you're on your own, folks, and you, you've got to discern what is in your best interest based on the truths that you hear from various people. And the, it, the best connection that you can have is that divine connection in your own heart and you know, got to do your own due diligence to get to the point where you can make an informed choice. All right. So it's a combination of what you know and what's in your heart. Follow that. Dr. Len, uh, I'll direct people to uh, a website I think they'd be uh, very uh, interested in, and that is www.fluscam.com, F-L-U, scam.com. And I thank you, as always, for your participation. And uh, obviously, this is going to be a huge story uh, for the foreseeable future. So uh, I look forward to our next conversation uh, with you. Thank you, Len. And uh, Dr. Doyle, uh, of course, you know that uh, I absolutely uh, said what I said with uh, all due love and respect. I was simply trying to prod uh, Len, but um, (laughs) I, I don't think you're anybody's useful fool. And uh, I couldn't do this program without you. <laughs> Thanks. And I think Len is great. I've always been in awe of him. His credentials are impeccable. We have a Harvard graduate here. All right. And uh, I do, uh, you know, I think that it, it, what he said is so important. And, um, you know, take your vitamin D and do everything you can. And uh, as you mentioned previously, it's a personal decision that people have to make. Yes, we can't make it for them. They have to talk to their doctors and weigh the benefits and risks. Thank you, Dr. Doyle. Always a pleasure. We'll talk again soon. Uh, Listen, friends out there, uh, I I hope you enjoyed uh, my first offering and uh, the first of many, many more here on AM740. Thanks to Dan Ellison. And uh, back next Sunday at 11 o'clock. 
Victor Vigiani from Exopolitics Canada. We'll talk about some of the latest information on Roswell, the UFO crashed 60 years uh, ago and more. We'll also talk to Rosemary Ellen Guiley, a paranormal investigator. She's trapped the voices of ghosts on tape. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll hammer away at the Elvis story one more time. I'll talk to a forensic investigator who has some more information on uh, this DNA evidence. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light, and what I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.